discussion the, the, the when she says the eu that is like i remember, i don't even rem that it's a wonky thing that like what that actually refers to is not even something that's going to be obvious like there's it's it involves weird details about the way that there were slight policy differences like it's almost no one who remembers that she says that could even explain to you why she said that but that's what's remembered from that conversation i think that right. she actually gave them a I don't think that they ever wanted that conversation to come out, but with the way that it did and the way that they focused on that, it's like she gave them a little bit of um, a red herring, I think, to to make people not focus on the the more significant part where they're because they were talking about Klitschko at one point, you know, the boxer. She's like, oh, yeah, Klitschko, I, he, he's, he might not be ready for this. I don't remember <laughs> if they ever say, like, he's taking too many punches to the head. We can't give him this much responsibility or what. But like it was weird. They went down a litany of or, a, you know, a list of all these dudes. And we're like saying who they wanted and who it might be. And then they finally say, Yats. Yats is our man, right? Yeah. And who is, who is this guy? Uh, what well, do they end up, what does he end up doing? Yeah, they're talking about a guy named Arseny Yatsenyuk. And um, uh, well, rewind a little bit. The, the, the fuck the EU thing. The, uh, I, like you said, I don't think this would have been reported if she hadn't said those words. Like, I think this would have like gone completely unnoticed in the u.s too, media. it's too boring if she just said we oppose this eu policy yeah uh but what, what they seemed to be talking about was that the eu was trying to broker some sort of deal between the opposition and the current uh, yanukovych government um and they would you know have a some deal about who which ministers would go where and uh it's the power sharing the early agreement. elections too right i mean this i don't remember when that came about but i know part of it was they wanted early elections and then yats or not yats but yanukovych actually if i recall correctly he agrees to have the early elections but then they're like no actually if we have early elections they we, we might not we might not win them and so let's just overthrow this government that's the way i took it right uh well i i not a hundred percent sure if the early elections were part of this uh, this yeah. power sharing unit they were talking either. about, but it's all part of it's all part of this uh, the discussion, right? They were there were uh, talks about resolving the conflict between the opposition and the current government uh, in a way that wouldn't that would leave the current government more intact than the U.S. would like, and so you know, fuck the EU. The U.S. charts its own course, and even its allies aren't allies; they're just vassals. So they can be ignored. Um, we have our preferences. So uh, that call leaked, and then, you know, it made its splashes in the press. And then I think two or three weeks later, you have, well, first you have the Snipers Massacre, which is this whole other thing. Um, and then you have the, uh, the ouster of uh, Yanukovych. And then you have him fleeing to, uh, I believe, Belarus. And then you have the resulting civil war and the... Basically laying the groundworks for the current war. Right. Now, this massacre of uh, protesters, and I think there were security officials killed as well. Um, I think mostly, I think it was mostly protesters. This uh, involves the use of Nazis at some point. I mean, there were, there's a Nazi hand there, and there's a lot of questions about the, who the snipers were and who they, who they were shooting at or you know, who was directing them and so on. But at any rate, the Nazi part has been obscured as well. I mean, how how much of a how much of a blackout has there been on this subject? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, almost completely. Uh, at least in the Western press, in the academic literature, I mean, it's they're pretty straightforward. It's like, well, yeah, you know, there were peaceful protesters, 
who made up the you know the early core of the Maidan movement. But you know the Nazis came in, and uh, the reasons that tensions and the situation was so uh, uh, was so volatile was that there were Nazis who were doing violence. <laughs> and it's that violence that creates the tension, that creates the situation for uh, people to even begin talking about, oh, maybe Yanukovych should step down. Oh, maybe uh, uh, we should come to some power-sharing agreement. That doesn't happen if you have a bunch of peaceful protesters in a square who are no threat to the established order. It happens when you have hooligans uh, running around and breaking shit and <laughs> shouting anti-Semitic slurs. Like... That's the situation. Uh, and then uh, these Nazi groups, uh, well, they were at the sort of the vanguard, the shock troops of the people who were sparring with police and sparring with security forces. And, you know, some of them were armed. But this sniper's massacre happens, uh, I think, two to three days before the actual overthrow. And uh, I can't remember the exact figures, but dozens and dozens of people are shot down. And the Western media machine and uh, the entire uh, Ukrainian National Endowment for Democracy-funded media machine, well, they immediately blamed the Yanukovych government for the uh, the killings. Yeah. And within days, uh, Yanukovych, uh, he resigns. So uh, all this happened really quickly, but very few people stopped to ask, like, okay, well, who actually fired the shots? And there's an academic. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you've had them had him on, but he's been around some some places. Uh, like Ivan Kachinovsky. Uh, he's done excellent work on this. He published uh, an article back in I don't know years ago. Uh, but you know he's a well-respected uh, academic within the political science world. Uh, and this paper I'm talking about, it was presented at I think the American. Political Science Association or some... Yeah, he's a mainstream one, scholar at a university, I think, in Canada. Um, yeah, yeah, Ottawa, I believe. Um, and But he comes out and says that, well, if you look at what the medical examiners say, if you look at eyewitness testimony, if you look at the video evidence, it's very obvious that the overwhelming majority of the shots came from buildings controlled by the protesters. Uh, and so what are you left to conclude from that? I mean... Do we think that uh, uh, Yanukovych's security forces went up to protester-controlled buildings and then fired on protesters? Uh, no. And Kachinovsky was, I mean, pretty—he didn't mince words. He said that this is evidence of a potential false flag attack, which, you know, in Western audiences, you hear false flag, you think Alex Jones, and you think can't touch it. But, I mean, it's just a reality of geopolitics that these sorts of things happen. And— uh, but this was the turning point that really forced the Yanukovych to step down. Um, and so on top of the Maidan movement, on top of all these Nazis uh, breaking shit, you have a massacre that was done by, it seems to be, the opposition. Uh, and that's what led to this, uh, to this ouster. Yeah. And so if you take all that, um, I think you have a pretty solid prima facie case for this being a U.S.-backed coup. And this doesn't even go into the National Endowment for Democracy, which uh, is even more interesting in some ways. Uh, the NED, I mean, a few months before, or a month or two after the protest started, Victoria Nuland, she showed up at a, an event 
hosted by a bunch of, uh, you know, like the, the capitalist class. You know, on the YouTube video I'm thinking of, there's like a, a Chevron logo behind her and some other large corporation. And she's talking about how the U.S. has poured $5 billion to uh, civil society groups, politicians, organizations to help this country make the necessary reforms that it needs. And so it's like, oh, wait, they, they spent $5 billion uh, in this country to try and transform the politics? To improve like, democracy. To improve democracy? And th this number, this figure referenced uh, the NED's efforts uh, since 1991, so the, fall, the collapse of the Soviet Union. So over 20 years, they spent $5 billion I mean, yeah, I think I think so, I think that includes uh, somebody explained this as is that number actually including USAID in general to Ukraine. So it's it's not the the bulk the major the bulk of it wouldn't have been necessarily NED, but it's any way that you look at it. She said she phrased it as this is to help Ukrainian democracy, but it's it, the 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 reason that the U there's you have to explain why the U.S. is spending billions and billions of dollars in Ukraine, uh, you know, <laughs> as part of its foreign policy because they don't throw around money like that for no reason. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.